Hey, everybody. Just a quick note before we get started to say thanks. Thanks to all our listeners and a special thanks to all our members of New Club. We started this golf society as a way to enjoy the game of golf with more people in more places. It's actually the same reason we started the backdrop and called it Untold Stories in Golf. We kept meeting interesting people and we wanted to share their story with our members. So if you have ideas for us or suggestions, please email us. It's membership at newclub.golf. And if you're interested in becoming a member yourself, visit our website at newclub.golf. Thanks again for listening, uh, for the support, and we hope you continue to enjoy your game. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Backdrop. I'm your host, Matt Considine. We've had some incredible guests so far this season on the podcast, each with their own unique story, adventure, and relationship to the game of golf. But on today's podcast, I feel like we are starting to live up to our tagline, untold stories in golf, with a guest who you probably haven't heard of, but one you should know because he truly has a unique approach and a genuine story to tell. We're honored today to have Paul Cicerelli on the pod. Paul is the assistant superintendent of the Dunes Club in New Buffalo, Michigan, and the owner of Aim Better Golf, a craft shop that makes golf-specific products all by hand from reclaimed wood and recycled products. Many will be familiar with the Dunes Club, or at least the story of its creation. In 1995, Mike Kaiser dreamt up a golf course while hitting improvised shots with his family in the rugged sand dunes of southwest Michigan. Along with Dick Nugent, they turned its land into one of the most enjoyable and influential nine-hole golf courses that you'll find in the world. It's also sacred ground to Paul Cicerelli, who has been one of its main caretakers for over 20 years now. Paul is the kind of guy who walks out of his way across the street to pick up a piece of trash and throw it in the garbage. It's true, I've seen it. He puts that type of attention and care in everything he does, treating the land, his products, and the people who enjoy them all unconditionally well. So we're doing a few projects this year. Um, I've built one tee so far, a new tee on the uh, eighth fairway. Um, just the old one was, uh, we'd always called it the ladies tees, and now Mr. Kaiser is real big on uh, forward tees, mm-hmm. speeding up play, um, and also it, it throws a different challenge into the hole. It takes a, a very long hole long par five but makes it makes it almost a, a, a impossible par four or is it an easy par five if you try and clear the waste area you come you know you, you, it brings in different challenges into it and it narrows it bottlenecks at different spots now from where you're teeing off so it uh it changes the uh the intent of the hole but um he loves tinkering with with his properties um he's i don't know if you've read recently they are redoing um uh, uh, I think two uh, two holes on Old McDonald and maybe two on huh. on uh, Bandon Dunes, the original one. I think. No kidding, I didn't see that. I yeah, see. It, it 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 just came out in a, in an article like last week. I think. Cool. He's he's, he's got kid redoing. The same guys are. Yeah. Are on both. Well, Old McDonald is is Doke. Uh, it's Doke. Doke did Old McDonald yeah. with Jim Urbina, and that's who's coming out. Where you have one more tee we're gonna do. Uh, with Jim Urbina on our second hole, awesome. um, Michael Jr. is uh, got a very creative mind like his father, and he's uh, envisioned a, a new teen area on the second hole on the on the far tee. We have the close tee and the far tee, and the the far tee is going to be uh, greatly expanded and make it a long iron shot. It's always been a, just a mid or short iron, depending on the wind. Right. And now you're going to have like a, a buck ninety shot, just about. Um, so bring, brings makes that hole a little different. Any changes to any of the greens? Not this year. Um, 2012 was our last uh, re, redo of any of the greens, and Jim Urbina 
uh, did one, eight, six, and seven in that order was how they were redone. Um, so we, we, when we refer to them, we always say one, eight, six, seven, and people are like, "That's that, that's not." <laughs> it's not chronologically yeah, yeah. correct. Wait, hold on. Say, what <laughs> but that's the order but that we redid the, them in. Yeah. Yeah, so and that, it's the order you could play them. I mean, you and that's the order we cut them in. We, we mow those greens. Um, they're one section. So the guy who mows goes from green one to eight because of their proximity and then does six and seven last. Yeah. And um, unless we have a shotgun, it's it's never an issue. And at that point, we send out one extra mower. Right. So. That's, uh, of course, you're going to remember the order that way. That's the way you get the morning started. you got to cut the greens, and that's how it's done. Yep, that's where we start. Uh, I feel like every time I chat with you, um, you, you got so much going on. You, you're like a... Uh, you're involved in everything. Tell us a little bit about your, your involvement in this community. So we're sitting here in New Buffalo's beautiful library um, where we're walking in and you, we find out you're a board member. So. Well, it's, it's, it was built in 2014, and I was actually originally on the uh, planning committee when we first moved here um, 14 years ago. They asked, they just sent out letters of, would anyone be interested in uh, helping plan a new library? And so I, our kids always come here for story time. So I was like, yeah, I'd love to. And and, and we, I sat in on it once, and then I ended up being put on, out of all the people, they took suggestions, and then they filled out a questionnaire, who can come every week for the next, you know, eight weeks and do it. And so myself and a handful of other people were willing to. And um, we I helped plan to build this building and had a lot of input on it. And so the community hopefully – utilizes it to its fullest potential. It used to be a very small library, and the town has grown, especially in the summertime. They have a lot of uh, summer programs, um, and the beach isn't always open. There's, you know, high wind advisories and stuff. So being so close to the beach, the uh, library is just perfectly positioned in the community to be like a, a pillar in the community, literally. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, you can you can feel it. I mean, this place is, is one, it's beautiful. It feels like it was built last week, not 2014. I mean, the, yeah. the uh keeping in phenomenal condition. And um, I, I just think, you know, you're so involved in the community, which is a big thing that we preach with our golf community, uh, you know, being kind of that it's not always about playing, but you're participating in, in different ways. You're also, you had to, to uh, put your, I think that was that emergency contact system. You're, you're also yeah, a volunteer my, firefighter my, for the My year. pager, uh, we just had a fire actually two days ago in an apartment building over by the high school football field. A dryer caught on fire. Someone didn't clean the lint. It caught on fire. By the time we got there, uh, the police department was able to um, unplug the machine, but it still had the gas hooked up to it. So all we did is go in and test for impurities in the air and saw that we were getting a, a reading. We had to look behind it. It was smoky, and we found it and shut it off, and that was that was the end of that. And then we just uh, wait for the uh, gas company to come and declare it to be safe again. So. I have this this uh, suspicion your life is much more interesting than mine, <laughs> all across the board. I, I think you know, we should bring back the cameras next time, maybe to follow you around for a week if you'd be up for it. I actually have always wanted to do a show called Supers and Loopers, where you interview superintendents the week of a PGA event to, to learn everything that the superintendent goes through, and then interview on the practice rounds um, a few caddies and everything that they do, because some of those caddies are so dedicated they learn how far it is from you know everyone's got a laser now these guys really don't and, and they'll walk a course and they'll learn every rock every tree you know how much rough you have till you run into the creek um and and really uh dissect a course 
to help their golfer as best as they can. And the Dunes Club, where I've been fortunate enough to work for close to 15 years, has, has got a lot of dedicated caddies. Their caddy program is great. And they also have a, um, a membership that supports the superintendent and everything that they have to do, which really makes for a great experience for the golfers. Yeah, that, that, uh, if you need some funding, let's go get that because that's a great idea. Supers and loopers. Supers and loopers. You already yeah. got you already got the, the name. I actually the started a Facebook done. page on it. Did you really? And and I haven't had a lot of time. I start I started a lot of pages on Facebook. I do I do one the putter collectors of the world, the hat collectors of the world, and the belt buckle collectors of the world, things that I'm interested in. And uh, the belt buckle collectors of the world actually has a ton, and I've learned that a lot of people who like uh, horses and rodeos really love belt buckles and and so there's a lot of that on there but um there's also a lot of a lot of uh variety in it as well kind of mosaic of of different people's interests and it's neat to see like the belt buckle i thought rory mcelroy started it. he kind of brought back the belt yeah. buckle for a little while and a uh, cowboy look on the golf course yeah he did he had, he had like a big snake skin one that i think he had picked up in mexico in a tournament and it was uh it was just a beautiful piece of artwork that he got to wear so we, it's very fitting you, you bring up belt buckles because we actually, uh, you know, last year was our first full season as a golf society and we had a club championship that was season long. You had to qualify, you did this match play and, you know, the, the Dunes Club was, was so gracious and we had the approvals to, to host our final guys. And the way that we did it was really cool. We had 12 qualifiers and we did surveys on all of our members of who was most enjoyable to play with. Uh, the f- then the additional four, that's where the additional four came from, is we went down the line of who was not, they didn't qualify by score, but qualified by just the camaraderie and the, and yeah, the you know, spirit awesome. of playing with them. Uh, so we had 16 doing a round robin at, at your place, at the yeah. Sands Club. And it was, I, I, don't, uh, I don't, I mean this, it was one of the most special days of golf I've ever had. And I didn't play. I had one club, I had a couple shots around greens, but I was just walking around and watching this this happened, this beautiful match play event at this such a uh, influential course that has changed, you know, golf in America, I think, uh, or one of the places that, that got it all started, this, this renaissance we're in. And, um, and we were talking about trophies, you know, we weren't prepared at the end of the year. We didn't have a trophy for anybody. I think we gave them a t-shirt, some tees and, and, uh, you know, put them in the CDGA, uh, booklet as our club champion. But, uh, but this year we, we ordered our, our gift. And, you know, the original Open Championship was a belt buckle, basically. <laughs> it was a big one. Yeah. But it was the championship belt yep. that they, they later retired because uh, I think young Tom won it three times maybe. And and that's what we're going with. So it's so funny. That's you said awesome. That. I literally ordered that yesterday. Uh, well, we're working on the, de- the design, but we committed to it. Uh, so you, I should have consulted you first. You've probably looked at a world of belt buckles. I have, I have about... 160 belt buckles right now and now it's usually any gift i get from a relative is usually a belt buckle around the holidays so they, they realize I, that's one of my interests so do you have one on today or no yeah i've got one on today it's a it's a 1976 uh the uh bicentennial one i was i was i was six years old at that time in 1976 and my mom had got me a nasa flight suit thing for uh halloween well, i wore it quite a bit I, I loved it and i loved that logo that logo sticks in my head of of this of the commemoration of our 200th year as a nation and uh um i still like that that image that's so cool that's is that your favorite what's your uh time belt buckle depending on my mood yeah you know like if it's football season i'm i uh, the first super bowl i ever watched the steelers won and so i'm a steelers fan even though i grew up near detroit but 
there's no reason to root for Detroit in football usually. So, um, my co-founder Mark would agree with you there. He's a Detroit kid. Yeah, it's hard. You you feel like so you're hard. you feel like you're in a, an abusive relationship with the, with the <laughs> Lions. <laughs> it's you need to just cut ties and and uh, be done with them. I, hey. I, you know, I, it was impossible not to root for Barry Sanders. He was such an amazing athlete. It, he was to me the most gracious. The way he exited, a lot of people gave him grief, but he didn't want to break his his idol's record and didn't want to step on any uh, historical toes, so to speak. And I give him kudos for that. I think that was classy. I think he was a class act. Yeah, he had to incredible. Toe. What a what an athlete. What a guy too. I uh, I don't know what you guys are talking about. I'm a Cleveland Browns fan, so I've never oh, been disappointed. Geez. I've never uh, gone through any any hard times. It's just yeah, been, it's been it's easy. Clear sailing yeah, constantly. Clear eyes. They did have a, a great increase in victories the last season, and that was uh, exciting to watch. Yeah. No, the <laughs> ba- ba- Baker, uh, I'm fully on board with Baker. Hopefully that just he, keeps going. He's an athlete. Yeah. I actually got to see a lot of he's the Cleveland winner, Browns growing up. Uh, one of my friend's dad was a coach at Eastern Michigan University, but then he went to uh, Kent State. And Kent State hosted the Cleveland Browns uh, for their their you know preseason training. Yeah. And uh, got to see a lot of the Cleveland Browns. And I, 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 I'm I, a fan of people. There's certain guys I like to root for. And I did like Bernie Kosar. I thought he was a great quarterback. And uh, there, were, there were a few other ones in there. But um, I've never rooted for him. But I, 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 uh, I understand your struggle. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, so you spent some time in, in my home area then because your dad was working for Kent. and My uh, my. my Friend's dad. Oh, your friend's dad. Yeah. Sorry, I thought, but uh, but your dad was working for. Uh, My dad was a professor at Eastern Michigan University. He also subbed for uh, Washtenaw Community College and University of Michigan. Um, he had a, a master's in geography and geology um, from Eastern Michigan. He played football at Wayne State. Um, and then he uh, transferred to Eastern Michigan because that's where my mom was going for teaching. My mom became an art teacher, and uh, that's kind of what led me to turn things into uh, arts and crafts time, you know? Yeah. So that's, and that we probably should get back to something related to that. Cause that's uh, a big part of why we wanted to have you on and talk a little bit about your business and what you did for all of our members this year to, to get the season started. But um, uh, that's, that's maybe, maybe a good way to get there is where we met. Uh, so I'm, I'm playing the, the dunes club and some guys have heard me tell this story before, but I think it's, it's worth telling again. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not playing. I shouldn't say that. I had a club in my hand. I'm walking around with a, a seven iron and uh, I'm on the back of two green. And, and I think you just were changing one of the cups that, that Monday morning. And, uh, you know, you, you asked a little bit about our golf society and yeah, yeah, we just had a nice chat. It was nothing out of the ordinary, yep. but then I, I probably only went three more holes. I think now I'm on four and, and you came back with this beautiful, um, bag tag, you know, with the bootstrap, uh, 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 what do you call that? Just the handle, the bootstrap handle, and then this this beautifully crafted uh, uh, piece of piece of art uh, that had our B logo on it, hand drawn with a. I don't know how you did that, but that was hand drawn, and uh, and my name and and new club, and I just was blown away. I I really was. I couldn't stop smiling the rest of the day, and and I said, "What was this?" And and you said, "Well, this is my business. Uh, I made you a prototype. You know, this is some stuff that we do." And and. And then you told me the story of how, how you got into it. Yeah. So I, that's why I bring up my experience with, with meeting you, uh, is I wanted you to kind of tell us, how did you, did you come up with Aim Better? Uh, what, you know, what, what are the things that led you to, to this, this project? 
So I got outbid on a wing foot ball marker on eBay. Um, and then the next night we had a windstorm and a, uh, a large maple tree came down. And maple happens to be a very circular branches. Their branches are, are, you know, nature made them almost perfect 360 degree circles. They're beautiful. Um, not a lot of grain in it. But anyway, I, I was like, you know, that's almost the exact same size as that wing foot ball marker I missed out on. So I was like, well, I, can, I bet I can cut that sand it and then and then you know draw the the logo myself and at that time i was still a uh, a boy scout leader and we had done an arts and crafts project the uh, week before actually we made uh birdhouse boxes out of uh, old pallets and um so I'd, I'd been in the drawing mood and had all my markers and stuff out and uh i i went home i found a saw i cut the first you know 10 i cut 10 by hand and then it was just like, you know, that's all right. Let me let me see if I can do this a little better each time. And after about a month, I had I'd gotten one down, and I uh, showed it to my my boss, and he was like, "That's beautiful. Where'd you get it?" And I was like, "I made it." And he he was, you know, he was like, "You should show that to Mr. Kaiser." And so I did. And the uh, next next spring, he he comes out and does a walk around every spring, and I gave him one. I said, "Here, this is a gift for you. I made it out of a maple tree. Actually, it was on the first hole. I said it tree fell right here." And I uh, made this out of that tree. And he was like, all right, well, put them in the clubhouse. Uh, I'll uh, buy one at the turn. And I said, well, it was, it was just a gift. He was like, no. He was like, you, you've got an idea there. You're going to make them. And I was like, okay. So then I, I went and just made more and more. And I probably sold about maybe 4,000 of them through the Dunes Club alone to the members with um, kind of a, a domino effect of it leading to, to other clubs. But um, – that, that's how it started. I just, I just wanted to, wanted that ball marker that I didn't win, you know, the and, 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 and let it led you to this business. My that's wife was cool. like, well, that's even better. It didn't cost us anything. <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's, that's where eBay. the aim better came from is, uh, you're making money. Instead yeah. Of spending all your, all your yep. dough on the, on Cause the I've, I've got a extensive golf memorabilia collection and it's always growing. I let a few things go away every now and then, but, uh, I mainly just a collector. Yeah, that the, the, what a cool uh, occurrence! To, to it came out of just the um, the moment of, of you know seeing the tree down and thinking, okay, I could I could do this. Yeah, and and then you did, and to have Mr. Kaiser's endorsement to push it as a business. Yeah. So so did it start with the uh, the ball markers? I'm looking at two here. Is this is this was this the first product? And then how did you expand to the others? This is the most current day one. Originally, I had. Uh, worried about the artwork you know if someone's playing in the morning in the dew the artwork bleeding or leaching through and so I had always put a clear coat on it to try and protect it and I had gotten uh, a handful of different ideas and I, and I looked up um, I wanted it to be non-toxic so I made sure that I found a product that was uh, I think it's ASTM is the uh, ordinance that uh, determines whether a product's toxic or not and, I re- and then I, I was like all right I don't want to create any carbon footprint by doing this um my family's very uh recycle oriented we try and reuse as much as we can and if not uh get it to someone who can and uh this is the what you have there is about the most modern attempt of it now i've done away with the actual clear coating at all and using permanent inks which are also non-toxic um they can be submerged in water and they'll fade slightly but the image doesn't seem to go away at all and I've ran them through the washer and dryer, let them, you know, plate in the rain. I've got I've got one member that had a one of my first ball markers from 2011, I think, and he's like, I've played in Ireland, I've played all over. He's like, 
it, it, it's still just as good as when I bought it. So that's so cool. Yeah. And, and the, uh, I love the unfinished piece to it. Like that change to me, uh, makes such a difference because you know, it looks so much more natural when you, and when you pick it up. Yeah. You can feel the grain in it. You can feel the grain in the wood and that, that's like, yeah, that's definitely cut by hand from a tree. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, it definitely feels, uh, I love the spirit of the, you know, recycling and the reusing of this, uh, you know, from a pretty special place to you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's sacred ground to me. I mean, that's where I, that's where I spend all my time, and I'm uh, fortunate enough to do so. Those are all actually sassafras branches, and including the uh, the wall piece there. Um, so, yeah, how many t- different types of tree do you cut from? So, for different uh, projects, so for trophies, I like to use sassafras. It usually doesn't split. I've used a lot of oak, and then I've had a person come back, and they say, you know, it, the wood separated just a little bit. Um, and then I, I can put wood filler in there and that's not an issue, but I, it's, it's not natural to me at that point. It's lost a little bit of its, uh, you know, uniqueness, but now I'm, I'm expanding what I'm trying to do a little bit. Like I've been, I've had an order, uh, recently for a lot of American flags, um, both from members and just people in the community from the fire department. And there's a thing called the thin red line, the thin blue line, which, uh, supports police and fire. And, um, the thin red line is hits home for me being a firefighter. And so I made a, a one for myself and I showed it on Facebook and within, within an hour I had five people saying, you know, I'll take one, whatever, whatever, whatever you want to charge me. I'm like, okay, I'm going to need a few weeks. You know, it's, they take about four hours to make one. Cause I actually burn all of the, uh, all of the stars on one at a time. I have, I, I've cut one out of a piece of scrap metal. I cut one star and then I, I, with a blowtorch, I burn just around that one star 50 times to, uh, to make them. So they're, they're pretty time-consuming, but when they're done, they, they're 100% unique. There's not another one like it anywhere. There's a lot out there, and there's some people doing beautiful work with it. But uh, the fact that it's from a place where I work, because I actually make the boards myself, and some of the times I, I do go around, if I see homes being torn down or barns, barns are beautiful to reclaim wood. A lot of trophies. I do one for a, a thing called Tom's Four Club, uh, an event at Orchard Hills. Um, there is is uh, for uh, depression awareness and suicide prevention. They have a fundraiser each year, and the uh, the uh, guy there um, he wanted it to be 100% either you know reused, reclaimed wood. And I make their trophies for the last three or four years, and uh, it just. It it it, uh, it forces me to go outside of my comfort zone and, and find stuff because he wanted plaques, and I, the plaques are actually what led to the to the flags because I hadn't made anything other than uh, a forty five degree wedge which looks more like a bookend is what I originally had turned into trophies, hmm. and uh, every, it just keeps evolving kind of kind of yeah. like the Dunes Club itself the uh, we don't we don't edge bunkers we we like a little collapsed edge every now and then. And it just the course is growing, and uh, my business is kind of evolving along with it. I, it's it's such a great lesson in taking something, a resource that you have at your fingertips, and and making something out of it. It's the life gave you lemonade, lemons, so you make lemonade. I got a whole lot of branches, you know, in every windstorm. So, what can I do with them? Yeah. And I've tried to do as much as I can with them. And then we actually do utilize the uh, the parts that I can't use. Uh, our caddies used for firewood. We also turn it into mulch, and we use on different paths. So we try and utilize as 
as much of a tree as we can, and then what we can't, we uh, we give to someone who can. There's a place in Three Oaks that uh, they'll 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 come and get it, and they'll turn it into landfill, which is clean landfill. So if people look around here, there's a lot of Cayman kettle landscaping from the de uh, glacial deposits, sand. So as they remove sand, um, they have to fill it with something, and you don't want to, you know, uh, you can only legally fill it with, you know, stuff like leaves, sticks, or branches. Matter. Yeah, organic matter. And so we're e even when we're, our, our end result of how we get rid of it is uh, as clean as we can. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that, that's... Um that's so interesting to me. And I want to get to your job as a superintendent uh, and, and your responsibilities there and talk a little bit about, about that. And that's a good transition. But before we do, the, the, uh, the bag tags for our members. So we made about 200 of them for us. What, uh, where, are those, where are those coming from? Those are sassafras. Mm -hmm. Sassafras is uh, the, a tree that we most commonly have to take down because it grows so quick. So sassafras, a lot of people don't like it. Um, for me, it's the perfect wood. It, it grows in abundance, and, it, and it, it, anywhere where we blow leaves, sassafras grows up in there constantly. And for years, we had always had to just take it down and be done with it and have it hauled away to, that, you know, to a fill. Now I'm able to at least put some of it so that that tree's existence gets uh, appreciated yeah. somewhat. At least it does by me and yeah. obviously by some, some other people as well. Well, I think more people take notice of that. Um, just when things, you know, I think we're past the, the people want quality. Yeah. You know, and people want to know what their products are made of, uh, you know, and even if things as simple as a bag tag, but, you know, more so you see in the grocery store and uh, organic things. I, I just think it's um, to understand where, where it comes from. Obviously, being a golfer, it coming from the Dunes Club at all is, like, really cool. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but knowing the, the trees that you – where are you? Where do you store this stuff? Because I know mean, you don't use it all. You got a little space set aside. So you take I, it back I, I've home. I've got a garage? full. I've got a full basement, and uh, in the basement I have my wood shop, and I've got about uh, ten five-gallon buckets that I just fill with with branches that are that I'll potentially use, and then I've got a shed, and in the shed I keep uh, more in case I, I I get a large order, and it's it's uh, it's not always utilized. I end up having to dispose of some of it, and we have a fire pit in our backyard. But I want to I want to have the opportunity to utilize as much of it as I can, so I have more than I need on hand. And I end up turning away some work because I I'm unable to let go. I'm kind of that uh, mama bear who won't let her cubs leave the the cave. I, I've, <laughs> I've had the opportunity to expand the business and and have stuff made overseas and. I've had an investor come to me, and uh, I just don't want to dilute what I do, and and I want to keep it uh, exclusive and and classy, and I don't want it to be a, a cookie cutter um, product that just looks like it. You know, you 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 picked it up at at Hobby Lobby or something like that. I want it to be authentic. Right. Yeah. And one thing when I when I saw the entirety of. Our, our members' bag tags, and I'm looking at them spread out on our table, and we're getting our our packages put together for them. Uh, everyone's different, and yeah. you know, Mark and I started talking about from the conversation of like, "Hey, look at this one, look at this one," and they're all just a little slightly different. And we use the the analogy of the golf swing, and how every 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 person's swing is distinctly different. And if you try to swing like someone else, it don't work out that well. You got to swing like yourself, yeah. and and we just like that uniqueness to it, and your 
um, you know, we, we kind of consider ourselves a, uh, a craft product, right? We try to highlight courses that are, are each very unique and, and you are producing craft products and they're all very unique. So it's just such a cool alignment. Um, we're all really pumped that you did it for us. So thank you, uh, for the work that you do and, and not just in, uh, in the, these products and in your woodwork, but for your community in New Buffalo, obviously you're very active. <laughs> Yeah, I try idle hands, you know. I want to want to stay busy. I had a class at Michigan State that it was called time management, just an elective and just one credit, but uh, it it left an impact. I try and not be too organized, but organized enough that I can accomplish everything I need to, and then possibly one extra thing because you don't know what life's going to throw at you. So you got to have you got to have a little vacancy in the calendar in case you do need to, you know, fix a flat tire. You know, a curveball. If you're uh, teaching that class, uh, I would gladly sign up <laughs> at any time. I, I think I've been a person that likes to fill the plate, but uh, I, I don't manage everything as well as I should. I'm I'm fortunate that uh, my wife is uh, very organized as well. So, uh, and she's helped me become a, a better person in general. So, and, she, and she's been very supportive of all of my endeavors. So that's always a benefit. That helps. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Um, so let's talk uh, your role as a super for, uh, for the Dunes Club. Tell us how you got into the business and what, uh, what you love about it. Well, I, I started working on a golf course in 1988. Um, my dad and I got done golfing, and uh, the superintendent, they had three people go back to school, and they needed someone. And I lived just down the street from the course. It was called Huron Golf Club at the time. It's now called Eagle Crest Golf Club in Ypsilanti, Michigan. And uh, they, he said, uh, you know, you don't even have to pay if, if your son's willing to come back and work. And my dad was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, we need people in maintenance. All you got to do is, and at that time, they just needed a cart guy. So my first job was just pulling out all the carts in the morning. And after that, I could go, go play. So I'd, I'd show up 7 a.m., have all the carts out, ready to go, dry them off. And then I could just tee off in an open hole and in a cart for free. And I was getting paid to. And then uh, when I got done... You know, golfing, I, he was like, hey, our, our, our range is almost out of balls. You want to keep working and pick up the range? And I said, sure. And he said, all right, well, first you got to take a golf club and walk around it and hit everything into the middle. So I was getting paid to actually practice my short game and chip everything into the middle of the range. <laughs> and I was, I was like, this is incredible. And <laughs> so he – uh, Is this real life? This is what happens? Yeah. yeah. I do the rest of my life working? This yeah, is what work is? 17 years old. I'm like, this is, this is work? Okay, I'll do this. So I did that, and then he was like, all right, now you got to jump on the tractor. And I had never driven a tractor, and I was like, all right, you got to show me how. And he's like, do you know how to drive a stick shift? And I was like, yeah. He's like, all right, well, it, you know, it's not a stick shift, but you have to push the clutch in to start it. Did that, and then he was like, all you got to do is just drive back and forth, take wide turns. So I did that, and then he was like, all right, come back every night at 6 p.m. And, and do this. So I'd pull out the carts in the morning and then pick up the range in the evening and golf in between if it was summertime and if it was the school year you know i, I would actually start going in at like 5 a.m because I, I couldn't pull out the carts before school so i'd go in early pull out the carts and then go to school when i actually went to michigan state for agronomy i worked at one course from 3 a.m till 6 a.m uh, mowing the greens and then i would uh, turn on a sprinkler because they didn't have automated sprinkling so i would have to turn on one by hand go mow the next green, come back, shut that green off. Go mow a different green, come back and shut off the next green. So I did all, I did all that just to get free golf, but also to put it on the resume eventually and, and, you know, and gain experience from it. But uh, 
mainly just to, to golf. That was, that was my yeah. motivation. Yeah. So it grew out of your, your, uh, joy of playing yeah was the work but then the work became your joy because i can tell you love i love what i super. do yeah we had one of our guys just recently on facebook we're about to hire everyone back for the season and uh he posted not looking forward to you know this and to coming back and, and waking up early i'm like he's up anyhow i know he is he's on facebook i'm like he and he and he does love what he does so i was like it was like you love what you do don't complain about it yeah you know yeah good for you yeah you call that call that out because I, I i think um well, no, it shows when I talk to you about it. And uh, now, so, what was your path to the Dunes Club? Did, what were your other roles before you got there? So, I I've, uh, did my internship at the Country Club of North Carolina on the Dogwood course. They have uh, two courses there, Cardinal and Dogwood. Um, I did do some work on Cardinal as well through the summer. Um, and then when I went back to Michigan State, I didn't really have a, uh, a region I wanted to settle down. And we were told your degree is worth more the further you go away. So, I was like, all right. I didn't want to leave uh, the the border of the United States, but I was like, all right, I'll, where? I was like, let me look in California, Florida, and I got a job in California at Riviera Country Club in Pacific Palisades, and I got to do the uh, 1998 Senior U.S. Open there under Paul Latshaw, great superintendent. He actually hosted more majors than any other superintendent in history. So he's kind of uh, he's the the Ben Hogan of of superintendents, the Michael Jordan of superintendents, if you want, and. Uh, he, the tutelage he gave us was, uh, you know, love what you do and, and, and do it well, you know, don't, don't come here with an attitude, come here with the, the, uh, belief that you're, you're on, you're on a wonderful piece of property and you get to walk around in, in a golf course. I mean, people pay to be out here. You're getting paid to be out here. So be happy. And, uh, he, he spread, uh, knowledge and wisdom, but he also spread a, a good attitude, a smile. And if he saw someone being upset, he would come and take, like, if he saw someone upset that they had to stay a little late in water, he would come and take the hose from them and say, here, go ahead and leave. I'll, I'll, I'll stay and do this. I want, I want whoever's taking care of the property to be happy while they're doing it. He was a believer in that, uh, you know, uh, the, the plants are, are uh, they do better when someone's actually motivated to be out there and you can see it in in a, in a guy mowing a green if he leaves a ball mark unfixed or if he uh, says all right well that that little stick won't hurt the mower or if the guy that stops the, the mower and gets off and moves the stick he realizes every little stick is going to dull it the duller a reel is the uh the less clean the cut is it's kind of like shaving with a dull razor that guy wouldn't do that but he's willing to mow these greens that you know they get shaved every morning Wow. And and so the cleaner the cut. So a, a good mechanic is another thing that should be touched on. The, the superintendents are are always vital to a course, but a good mechanic can make or break you. Yeah. And uh, we have the Dunes Club is fortunate enough to have a great mechanic. He's been there two or three years longer than I have, and he he cares about the equipment. He doesn't really love golf, but he loves what he does, and uh, he's a tinkerer. So if something doesn't work right, he's willing to to do whatever it has to to make it work right. That's that's one thing that I think the casual golfer is not going to think of. Yeah. Uh, and and we talk a lot about the appreciation of the game. Um, I, I certainly didn't appreciate the amount of effort it does take for those mechanics. Yeah. Uh, at these clubs, for it's a tedious that, job. It's a tedious job, and I, I I had the benefit of playing with um one of the the head mechanics at Sand Valley this past year. Okay. And I'm, I'm blocking his name right now, but he's a really good player, uh, and a lot of fun to play with. But just hearing his his schedule. Yeah. And and what re- is relying on him 
to do his job well so that the supers and the grounds crew and everybody else can do their job so that, you know, me, I can drive up three hours and play. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, that's the stuff that we don't think about, you know, when we talk about our, our greens fees and everyone, all the other things that a golfer might complain about. If they just knew a little bit of the attention to detail that's required and to create create that experience yeah. that you're talking about, um, we'd, we'd all be, you know, better. For, we'd all enjoy our game more. Yeah, I, I think golfers do who do understand what it goes into it, do appreciate and actually do play better, realizing all the effort that goes into it. The GCSAA, Golf Course Superintendents Association of America, has, has done a great campaign on getting the, the superintendent's name out there, making it more professional uh, rather than, you know, Caddyshack is a great movie. I love it, and I've actually got to meet Bill Murray. But his his portrayal of the assistant superintendent is is uh, one for the ages. It's It's hysterical. And uh, he is a, a, a great person. I've, I've recently watched a Netflix special on him. But uh, it, it's, it also shed a little bit of a bad light on superintendents. Like, oh, there are these kind of, you know, goofy guys. They don't really do this or that. There's quite a bit of science that goes into managing a golf course, more so than there ever was before. It's not just feed it, water it, and, and you know, mow it. There, there's a turf grass chemistry alone is uh, like taking advanced chemistry. Um, Michigan State, Penn State, Iowa State, Rutgers, Wisconsin, Tennessee, they all have these amazing agricultural programs that don't just focus on corn and cattle. They actually have uh, degrees out there specified to soil sciences, to learning. You don't just manage what's above. If, if you don't manage what's below the plant, you, the, the top's not going to look good either. Right. It's a, it's a healthy foundation. You know, you have to eat right. Otherwise you, you, you get unhealthy. So there's, there's so much that goes into it nowadays. It's incredible. And, uh, it's good. And like, here I just left last week. I had two seminars, uh, on one on Monday, one on Thursday to get continuing education credits to stay current in, in everything that's happening in, in our industry. And, uh, also to, so it's social to a degree afterwards, but the, you're in class from 8 a.m. till 5 p.m. and becoming aware of all these universities' studies and everything else that is going on to help you do a better job to give your member a better product at the end result. Yeah, it, it's such a, a service-driven um, role you guys play, and uh, you just see across the board so many great dedicated supers. Yeah. To, to their product, to, yeah. to their golf course. And, um, it's, it's awesome. And, and I love the kind of, uh, movement of sustainability and, yeah. and focus on ecology that's coming out of it. You know, I think forever people, uh, like, um, uh, one of my good friends is, uh, works for Davy tree company as an ecologist. Okay. Uh, so he consults and, and forever he had such a, a, uh, a bad view on golf courses, <laughs> right? Cutting down trees and doing yeah. all these terrible things. And, and uh, it always hurt me in a way, you know, being a golfer and thinking, oh, man, maybe I, am I part of the problem, you know, wondering. And, and he is totally flipped on it thanks to a lot of attention. I think what you're talking about in those circles of people that are saying, no, here's how we're going to help the environment around this golf course, in the golf course, part of it, uh, and make it sustainable for everybody, whether it be, you know, part of the park next door or, or people that can use the golf course for other things or golfers in general that focus on ecology is really cool. Yeah. And I know you do some of that at the dunes club. Yeah, we do. We do quite a bit of it. We're uh, Mr. Kaiser's just had us uh, plant 
milkweed everywhere we can for the butterflies. And also, we no longer try and eliminate clover. Like golf courses for years, oh, clover is no good. He wants clover anywhere but the green now. Um, if, if you can help the, the birds, the bees, the butterflies, uh, we've, we've dedicated one more acre. Um, so we no longer put out like a, a, just a, a broad spectrum herbicide, kill, kill everything that's not whatever species of grass you want. Let, let, let what come up, you know, let everything grow up a little bit, see what you have. And then if there are things that are invasive that will, you know, make your course unplayable, remove those. But anything else, if it's, if it's vital to the environment, leave it even if it does impede a little bit on the golfer's experience. He's, he's a, a minimalist and a naturalist to the point where he's willing to sacrifice a little bit of playability if, it's, if it has exponential you know, aid to, to, the, to the environment around it. He, he realizes the environment in the end is, is, deserves the victory, not, not this, okay, was it a perfect fairway? Did it have a dandelion in it? Yes, it's okay. It, it's yeah. it's yeah there, and then uh, there's a lot of courses doing that now too but i think like you mentioned earlier the renaissance we're in he's really started like we don't need golf carts putting out emissions and it's healthier to walk and his thing was in the city he just wanted to get away and and take a walk in nature see some deer see some you know some red tail hawk fly by it's 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 wonderful yeah so his whole movement is you know let let the course kind of grow into what it what it wants to be. The wind will will move the sand where where it's going to go. If you can fight it, but why 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 would you let let the, let the course kind of design itself eventually? And that's what all of his courses have been, and that's why they're so popular. Is people realize that you don't want to. Most people don't want nowadays a cookie cutter course that looks like it was drawn on a on a flat piece of paper like. This is the bunker, and if, if it's not this exact shape, it's, it's something's wrong and you have to fix it. It can evolve. It can grow. It is a living thing. It's, there's, there's probably 20,000 different species of plant and tree and, and, and broadleaf plants all over that property. Let them, let them have their space too. Yeah. That, I'm going back to the, your comment on Mr. Kaiser encouraging the, uh, the clovers and, and certain uh, – Milkweed. Milkweed, right? Yeah. That I'm thinking of, uh, uh, I've been blessed to play a lot of Lynx golf over in Ireland and, and in Scotland a little bit. Um, but one of the best rounds of my life was at a place called Rosa Pena, who just did a bunch of uh, new work actually um, on the course. And it is uh, original do- uh, old Tom layout. Okay. Unbelievable. And, you know, Lynx side or seaside Lynx course, it's just such a fun experience. But I remember looking down that first fairway and seeing dandelions yeah. everywhere and thinking, where where are we like is this a and 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 still having one of the best days of golf i ever had on a golf course because of the focus how does that deter from my golf experience like what element of that is going to interfere but just like you said it was a walk in nature it was enjoyable day it was great golf like that's that's what i'd like to see more i i honestly haven't seen that many courses embrace things like milkweed but i hope more more do more at the conference at Michigan State this this past year, um, there was a big emphasis on on in improving your environmental stewardship with the community around you, and and hopefully it's it's contagious that homeowners see that they don't have to have a weed free lawn. It's okay to have one or two weeds. I would rather have my kids run through a yard with dandelions and clover than a yard that has no weeds in it because that yard is then covered with 
an excessive amount of pesticide mm-hmm. to the point where it doesn't need, you know, you, you can you can kill one or two weeds if you want. You don't want them growing in your driveway because they, they split the cement or something eventually. So kill it there, but let it let it have its space too. It, 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 it's a trickle-down effect. It, it aids every every creature eventually comes into contact with another one. Yeah. And uh, the, the pollinization of it is is spread incredibly. Like we, we had two years where we didn't spray for milkweed, and now we, we've had more monarch butterflies in, in one this last year than I'd seen in the previous five years. So just taking a year off and then a second year off has led to a quadrupling of the population of this butterfly. At least maybe they were out there, but now they're coming to the course. Yeah. And it's it's a it's a good pest problem. Like some some golfers would view it as others. Oh, there's, there's butterflies everywhere. Can you get rid of those? It's, no, we don't want to. We, <laughs> we we want as as many pollinating insects as we can get. As long as they don't damage the the putting surface, we're okay with them. We we've, we've been chatting for an hour. We could easily go for two more. <laughs> Uh, you, you ended it with the idea of pollination. It, I'm going to, I'm going to take that as a, a sign to, to wrap up because, um, you know, our, our logo is the B for that very yeah, reason. Yeah, there you go. It, it's a, it's a focus on what we're talking about of, uh, you know, treating your environment and, and giving back to it instead of always taking from it. But the idea of pollinating a, a love for this great game, uh, that can help everybody golfer and non-golfer alike. And that's what we yeah. truly believe. So, uh, Every time I spend time with you, Paul, I'm more motivated to, to do more things, get more done. Um, I, I really appreciate the work you've done and your craftsmanship for the members of New Club. And uh, thanks for hanging out. I, I really enjoyed it. I appreciate it. And thank you for having me. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. That was Paul Cicerelli, assistant superintendent at the Dunes Club and the owner of Aim Better Golf. Thanks, Paul, for joining us. And a special thanks from all of our members at New Club, making our bags look a little bit cooler for the 2019 season.